Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Beer and Biceps podcast. Today we are looking at the biggest mistake people make while dieting and that mistake is confirmation bias. Um, if you've not heard of confirmation bias before, it is um, search, having an opinion on something and instead of looking at your opinion objectively, you just try to confirm your original opinion. So we're going to look at how that affects diet. Um, obviously, this is the Beer and Biceps podcast, so I'm drinking beer. Uh, today, my beer is its called James Beer, and it's from Evil Twin Brewing. Um, and it is a Berliner Weiss beer. And it is absolutely fucking incredible. Uh, but I'll talk about that at the end. So, confirmation bias. Um, have you ever talked to somebody who doesn't believe in climate change or who believes the world is flat or believes that COVID was created by, you know, the government as a way to control us? You know, something like that. Or somebody who believes in conspiracy theories. Um, if you've ever talked to them, you'll know that however much evidence you have and there's loads of evidence, you know, to disprove all of those things. Uh, isn't going to be, isn't going to be enough to shake their belief. But if they find an article written in Comic Sans on a website which is owned by a crazy person that agrees with their point, they will post it up on Facebook to prove you. Um, I've seen it a lot in, uh, especially with COVID, is people who spend most of their time hating the Daily Mail, suddenly sharing an article from the Daily Mail because it supports their opinion, even though they know that the Daily Mail is very biased uh, on certain subjects. But anyway, I don't want to get into COVID because it just annoys me. Um, but yeah, so that, that is an example of confirmation bias. In, those people have made their own opinion, not based on fact, and then when presented with facts, they ignore them, and then they only follow the facts that... Uh, support their belief now that their opinion could be correct and they could still suffer from confirmation bias so you know and we we do it all ourselves like you know if you know some if water is wet that is an opinion that i have and if you showed me 500 articles that said water isn't actually wet you know i would probably struggle to believe them and i would then find one article that supported my thing, I would go with it. You know, it's not always um, a symptom of you being wrong. It's just bad science because you're not prepared to listen to the other side, as it were. That's it. Again, it's, it, maybe it's like politics as well in the, you know, if you've got somebody who's been following, you know, the Labour Party from 1950 to 2020, you know, the party's changed massively, but that person still votes for them and still supports them every step of the way they're not really examining both sides of an argument they're not looking at themselves and going maybe i could change my opinion on this or that you know it's they're very set in their ways they're not going to change and that's a problem in dieting because there are a lot of quite crazy diets out there i'm going to let mention five of these diets now um they all work to some extent None of them are particularly amazing, and they all have people that follow it like crazy. So you've got the keto diet, which I'm going to be talking about in another podcast. Um, you've got low-carb diet, which is similar to the keto diet. Um, the keto diet is basically no-carb. And then low-carb's the quite famous one where, you know, that woman from your work some, you know, comes in with, like, 
cauliflower rice instead of regular rice or something like that. You know, they're, oh, I'm going low carb, I'm not having bread, that sort of stuff. Then you've got low fat, which was very popular in the past. You know, we cut out butter and, uh, you know, oil and all that sort of stuff from your food. Uh, then you've got paleo, which is eating like a caveman, which I've talked before about on this podcast. Then you've got the 5-2 diet, which is you eat for five days a week and then you fast for two days. And there's very various variations of that type of fasting diet. So, as I've said, every single one of those diets can work, but none of those diets works better than just a regular calorie controlled diet you know which means you know finding out how much food you're eating and making sure that you're eating a little bit less than you're burning each day to lose weight so that's the best type of diet and it's the most simple the rest of these are different forms of crazy (laughs) um but they all work um and what would happen with with like um you meet somebody who's on a keto diet or you meet someone who's on a paleo diet and they will uh, not always but a lot of the time they will talk to you like the people on you know who have conspiracy theories you know oh this diet's amazing um there is nothing you can tell me that would change my opinion of it and i think that's actually kind of it's kind of a problem but it's also why these people get results so if you are that type of personality that you're not going to overanalyze or even analyze at all you know what's going right and what's going wrong you tend to be the type of person who sticks with what you're doing and then they probably will get some decent results, at least at first. Like, um, So then then what happens there is that they lose weight and then they say the diet was a success, even though you should lose weight on any diet if you're doing it properly, it doesn't matter. But yeah, so then they sort of say, that they go a step further, which is where I, where I have the problem with it, is when they start telling everyone else that they should follow it and then they start giving a bunch of benefits to it that don't exist. So yeah, if you want to lose weight, a low-carb diet can be very helpful because um, we tend to eat a lot of carbs in our diet and by cutting that out, you tend to be consuming less calories. You are going to lose weight. But then they say, oh, and also, low-carb diets improve your brain power. Which, you know, right, I've just made that up right now. I have no idea if that's true or not. I highly doubt it but there might be something about carbohydrate restriction and you know cognition who knows but anyway they tell they tell you that and you go all right well you know where did you hear that from oh i i bought this book from this new york times journalist and he he says that giving up carbs makes you x y and z i'm giving an example of um there is a guy who basically i've just described him he's new york times journalist who has gone this crazy low-carb diet route, and he just says absolutely loads of unscientific rubbish, and everyone follows him because, well, the results, you know, oh, they've, I've lost a bit of weight. Okay. Anyway, so you confront them with science, and then they get into the confirmation bias thing. There could be 500 studies that tell you that a low-carb diet is useless, and one study that tells you, oh, it's really good, which study do you think those people are going to go for? And it's always the same. They always go for the study that proves their point and ignore the studies that don't. I've done it myself hundreds of times. Everyone does it. It's it's difficult not to. That's why people, you know, that's why Labour supporters read The Guardian and Conservatives read, you know, The Daily Mail because they're reading stuff that supports their opinion. They're in their little echo chamber. And it happens with diet. 
Um, paleo is quite a bad one, I think, because it's a really difficult diet to follow. It's needlessly restrictive and pointlessly so. Like it, you're, you're making it really difficult. It's like running a marathon in concrete shoes, you know. I guess if you did it, you'd burn more calories, but, you know, it's a stupid way of doing it and it sucks all the fun out of it. Like, why would, you know, cutting out Mars bars from your diet forever make you a better diet than just a regular diet where you cut down on them but don't remove them completely? Anyway, yeah, so that's the problem with confirmation bias. There's another problem that also happens with diets, which is sort of similar. I'd say it's still confirmation bias, but it's not. it's not quite the same. It's not attaching ridiculous um it's not ignoring other people but what it is doing is um only looking at the positives so if you've been on a low carb diet uh you might start you know might start telling people oh i've got so much more energy than i had before now that's not even that's not scientifically possible because you're literally on a diet which means that you're restricting calories which means that you are consuming less energy during the day so it's not possible to have more energy whilst losing weight because how could you um what they probably mean is they've got less fatigue but again that's not actually something that's really that provable it's all about you know if you've been on a diet for 100 days and you're on day 42 how can you even remember how much energy you had before you started the diet or how much energy you had a week ago, or how much energy you'd have if you went off the diet. People don't really know, they just guess. And what people also tend to do is they, they focus on the positives and ignore the negatives, which isn't actually a bad thing to do on a diet, but it is a bad thing to do if you are then promoting this diet as the best thing in the world. So a keto diet will not give you more energy than a regular diet, but if you lose weight on both, you might feel like you have less fatigue and you might feel better, but that's just some, you know, that's just the benefit of losing weight and, you know, feeling healthier. It's not the diet itself that's done that, but they do this all the time. It's not just saying you've got more energy. It's, oh, I'm sleeping better. My acne cleared up. I lost weight. None of those things come from dieting unless the acne was based from a, uh, uh, was it, uh, you know, a food allergy, which, Fair enough, it might be. But all the other stuff, you know, that's just stuff that happens when you lose weight and, you know, you're exercising and you're more active. Um, but don't stick it to a diet and say, oh, yeah, the only reason I've lost weight is because I'm on the paleo diet. The only reason I've lost weight is I'm on a low-fat diet. It's just not true. Any diet will work. And most of the ones I've mentioned above are stupid because they're too restrictive. They're too much effort. They're not fun. And the only reason people stick with them is they think that they're somehow better than a regular diet, and they're not. Right, so next thing I'm going to talk about is the beer I'm drinking, and it is absolutely incredible. It's uh, a Berliner Weiss beer, which, um, as you can imagine, comes from Berlin. Uh, it's a sour beer, and you don't get many sour beers in Germany. Everyone always goes on about how great the uh, the German purity laws are, but actually... Technically, most most of the exciting beers that you get, craft beers, would never happen in Germany. And that's why Germany's craft beer scene has been absolutely shit until the last couple of years, because they were so stuck in the there can only be four different ingredients in you know uh, water, yeast, 
barley and no can't even remember it anyway you get the idea um so yeah so because of that a lot of their more interesting beers stopped being popular um germany used to have a lot of beers similar to belgium in that they'd have a lot of sours they'd have a lot of uh, very strong tasting beers they're um they'd use ingredients like coriander and all that sort of stuff in their beers um but because of the very strict uh, german purity laws a lot of these beers they were restricted and they couldn't be called beer so they weren't exactly outlawed it wasn't illegal we're not talking like you know 1920s america here but they weren't able to be marketed in the same way and they became massively unpopular so berliner weiss was a perfect example of that it was a beer that was started in the 16th century um and it was possibly brought over from belgium although others say it might have come from hanover um and it was really really popular uh when napoleon and his army went through prussia um they called it the champagne of the north which you know for a French person to say that must be a massive compliment. Um, but this beer was the most popular beer style in uh, Berlin and you know the surrounding area right up until the end of the 19th century. Then the 20th century hits and um, Munich becomes massively more popular and there's a certain way of the German way of drinking it and you've got the you know the Iron Curtain and all that sort of stuff and it went to from being the most popular beer in the area to being absolutely unheard of. You know, it was there was only two breweries, you know, down from like thousands. Um, and it's slowly making a comeback, but we're talking just about now. So they've pretty much had an entire century where one of the best beers in Germany was barely brewed or talked about. And it's still not that well known. Um, as a beer, it's... It's very different. It's, it sort of reminds me of a bit... This specific beer, anyway, reminds me a bit of a fruit beer. Um, it's actually... Uh, this beer's got strawberry and olive in it, which sounds horrible. But remember, it's a sour beer, so... Yeah, uh, it's it's not as sour as I was expecting, actually. It's um, But it's so refreshing, and it's such a such an incredible taste to it. I'd, really really enjoy it like um apparently when you're in berlin the beer itself is normally just quite a normal sour beer like you'd get in belgium and then they add um raspberry syrup to it or stuff like that um but this this uh the brewing is evil twin brewery and they they've just added it into the actual beer so it's more like a fruit sour and yeah i I absolutely love it, and I didn't think I was going to, because sour beers can be a bit hit and miss with me. Like Sometimes they're nice and nice and refreshing, and sometimes they're just horrific. Um, but yeah, no, it's, a, it's a really good beer. The brewery is actually um, half Danish, half American. They were um, they started off as a gypsy brewery, which um, is... Well, it's kind of like how it sounds, actually. They don't... They didn't actually have a brewery of their own. What they would do is rent space in bigger breweries and it could be, you know, all over the place. And then I think they finally got their own brewery, which is in Brooklyn. So, you know, got the American bit there. And that's that's where I think this was actually brewed. Um, but yeah, it, it started off in Denmark. And I would absolutely recommend it. I'd, I think that German beers are... There's so like they they brought the world pilsner them in the Czech Republic and 
so many of their beers are very, very, very similar. So, I mean, let's let's be honest. People will try and tell you that there's a big difference between Holston Pills and Veltins and Becks and you know um, Bitburger and Flensburger and all that. But essentially, they're they're Pilsners and they taste quite similar. And it goes from one end of the country to the other. Yeah, they've got Hell's Beer and all that sort of stuff and Marsons, but it's basically all very, very similar tasting beers year round. And I don't have a problem with that. I absolutely love their beer. But yeah, but only now you're sort of like noticing they've got all these sort of like hidden beers, which were just very quiet about. And now they're just finally coming out like um, Schwarz Beer, um, Kolsch, um, Berliner Weiss, um, uh, what's it, the Leipzig Sour Beer. You've got all these different beers, which, you know, they never really talked about. Uh, oh, the, the Smoked Beer, which actually I find quite disgusting, so I'm not going to give that as a good example. But they, they're starting to come out and go, actually, there's a whole world of German beers that nobody ever really thinks about when they think of, Ger- when they think of Germany. It's actually got just as much variety as Belgium, but the Germans themselves don't even talk about it. Like, if you look at what the Germans are actually drinking, it's it's not even the big name German beers. It's um, it's not Perlenbacher, but it's one of those sort of. Uh, I think it's it's a, it's a it's a large uh, it's a pilsner that's owned by the people who do Doctor Utker pizzas, and it's just like this completely boring looking beer, but it's their most popular beer in Germany massively. Like they don't, you know, Berliner Weiss doesn't get anywhere near it. Anyway, I can't keep talking about German beer anymore because this is supposed to be half beer and half biceps and I can't just spend the entire time talking about random beers. So I'm going to wrap it up. Um, I'm going to be doing a second podcast pretty soon after this one um, and that's going to be about uh, keto dieting. So keep an ear out for that one and I'll talk to you soon.